Now that the rain has come, it's prime mushroom hunting season in Oregon. But serious foragers, they're all super secretive about their best spots. So today on CityCast Portland, I'm talking with Rachel Zoller, a mushroom educator and the founder of Yellow Eleanor. Let's see if I can get her to spill a few secrets. It's Tuesday, October 10th. I'm John Natariani, in for Claudia Meza, and this is what Portland's talking about. So right off the top, yeah. what what is it about mushroom hunters? Why are you so secretive about your spots? Oh, is that what you're asking first? <laughs> <laughs> I guess get it out of the way. Oh, goodness. I mean, I think with mushrooms in particular, it especially has to do with how challenging it is to get to know the mushrooms individually and how challenging it is to know their environment. And then you have to find like this perfect mm-hmm. marriage of environment and the season and the identification of the mushroom. And all of that takes a lot of work and a lot of time and even years to build up spots to go. And so <laughs> we, we are secretive and I think it's okay. And if anybody has ever shared a mushroom hunting location with you, they must trust you a lot. So really respect that. <laughs> so I know that I can't come right out and ask you your <laughs> secret spots. No. But but it, but in general like what types of climates and areas mm-hmm. if somebody was going to start getting into it like what sorts of places should people be thinking about? Well, you know, we're very fortunate in you know, in Oregon and Washington, especially to have so much biodiversity in our climate here. And all of our regions really do have mushrooms. It's just like plants. Everyone kind of has their niche environment and mushrooms do as well. Anywhere you go, you can find mushrooms. Okay. So there's all these different types of places and these different types of climates. Like what are some of the main mushroom microclimates in the Pacific Northwest? So for us, I kind of see the coast range as a specific climate, either either the coast range mountains themselves or right up literally to where the sand and the trees meet. Uh, I love this environment because it stays moist all year long. You get those like deep fog banks rolling in even in the summer where it's like dry everywhere else and you can still go and find mushrooms there. Mm-hmm. Uh, another area to kind of think about in the spring, because in the spring morels are the the big prize. Uh, If you go specifically to the east side of the Cascades. So it's kind of like where Mm -hmm. the dry meets the wet, you know, as you follow those Cascade Mountains, any any place a little bit just to the east of that is fantastic morale territory for the springtime. Um, And then I guess the only other place I would recommend is, you know, think about like the major rivers that you have in the area thinking about like the Clackamas and the Willamette and then its tributaries as well anywhere that you can go that kind of has a valley where there's a lot of water Mm -hmm. you know mushrooms love water and that's just a good general place to start if you're thinking of like the bigger like more woodsy environments so that that gives us somewhere to start we know that we're not going to (laughs) necessarily be like uh, scrambling along the edge of the highway looking for mushrooms. We sort of got some some regions. <laughs> yeah. But like, like w- w- once you're out there, okay, and I'm out in the woods mm-hmm. and I've got my little mushroom hunting cap on. Um, <laughs> is there a mushroom hunting cap? I feel like I would have a special hat if I was out there. Uh, doing there it. is a hat made from mushrooms. <laughs> 
There's like <laughs> wait, 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 what? Yeah, so there are okay, so one, you can use m- mushrooms as natural dyes. I do not own one of these yet. Somebody please make me one. Is they dye yarn and then they knit hats with these beautiful colors oh made from mushrooms. And then there's also the amadou mushroom, which is a really hard woody mushroom and it gets pounded down almost into like a felty leathery kind of material and people make hats out of them. Oh my gosh. Okay. So step one, before you go mushroom hunting, you need to get your Amadou mushroom hat. Don't even try until you have the hat. (laughs) (laughs) Once you're out there, um, what sorts of places in the woods are we looking at? Like, are there certain types of plants? Mm -hmm. Are there certain types of like geographic features Mm -hmm. that mushrooms tend to like? When it comes to looking for certain plants, looking for certain trees, it is going to be mushroom specific. Well, like, okay, what, what are a couple of like, Pacific Northwest greatest hits of mushrooms. Mm -hmm. Yes, greatest hits. Love it. All right. So Oregon State Mushroom, we got to start with that, right? (laughs) The Pacific Golden Chanterelle. Oh, okay. Yeah, you got State Mushroom. It's pretty cool. Yeah. and this is a great one to start with. It's it's fairly easy to identify for beginners, but it is very prolific when it comes to edible mushrooms. So that's great. Uh, mm-hmm. Douglas fir, that's the main thing you need to look for. And most of our forests have that. Mm-hmm. So Douglas fir, uh, anything old growth is just like premium, but we don't have as much of that left. So, you know, second growth is also great. Uh, I don't tend to find it in areas where, you know, it's been logged in the last 10 or 20 years. That just doesn't seem to be good. But anywhere you're going to find those more mature Douglas fir trees, you're probably going to be able to find chanterelle mushrooms. And those are like the little like yellowish yellow buddies, right? Yes, they are yellow. They're yellowy gold. We actually have, we have multiple species of chanterelles, which is fantastic. So there is a white one. Yeah. But most of them are this golden, beautiful trumpet looking. Yeah, they kind of like kind of flute up like a trumpet coming out of the earth. And they kind of have this really sweet, like fruity aroma to them that mm-hmm. it doesn't smell mushroomy, if that makes sense. You know, it actually has a distinct kind of yeah. a floral scent to it. What about like those of us that are that are cool enough to be like, <laughs> I already know what a chanterelle is. Of course. I mean, that is what everybody <laughs> starts with. So something else I really love and I think more people need to pay attention to is a hedgehog mushroom. Mm, so okay. a hedgehog is kind of like a peachy creamy color and it has little spines on the under side uh like little delicate spines hanging down from the cap so it's pretty distinctive Mm -hmm. just by that alone uh they will associate kind of more in a mix of like douglas fir kind of come into play everywhere but if you're going to also find a mix of that and spruce so if you're on the on the coastline it's going to be more of those coastal sitka spruce then in the mountains spruce mixed with the douglas fir zones but one thing in particular that i find true about hedgehog mushrooms is that areas that tend to be water saturated longer like throughout the spring and into the summer and then kind of dry up at the end of the summer and then the hedgehogs will start fruiting so i don't know if you're familiar like the more familiar you become with with animals as well can help you with your mushroom foraging because I really do see a correlation between where elk like to hang out in the summer and hedgehog mushrooms. Really? The same with finding summer chanterelles. It's hard to find them in the summer, 
But if you think about what you may know about an elk, they're really large creatures and they love the deep, dark, damp areas of the forest. And Uh those tend to be where hedgehog mushrooms and summer chanterelles hang out as well. I I don't know how I would begin trying to find an elk either. (laughs) Hey, but some people might know exactly what I I mean. (laughs) But if I stumble across one, I'd be like, all right, cool. I'm I'm on the right track. Mm -hmm. They like to eat mushrooms too. So they're competition in a way. (laughs) How about one more type? Give me one more mushroom. All right. So chicken of the woods is uh, a mushroom that you can find along the coast. You can find it in the coast range. Mm -hmm. You can find it in the valley. You can find it in the Cascades. So what you're going to be looking for in particular, though, is dead and dying trees because it grows off of dead and dying wood. Uh, So really with that, what you're looking for is I will sometimes look through the woods, like kind of looking through the trees. And if I see one where like the, the top part of the tree has fallen off and it's starting to die or a recently fallen log and I'll go check those you know, circle mm-hmm. around them, look up and yeah. down them. And they might have chicken of the woods growing, which is just this brilliant orange mushroom. It's like this almost hunter orange color on top and sulfur yellow on yeah. the bottom. And it grows large and shelf-like on these on these fallen trees. And Yeah, they're almost like discs, right? They are. Yeah, exactly. It's kind of like, yeah, discs or shelves growing up a tree. Uh, and I think about that is that they can grow in the same spot year after year. Uh-huh. So another reason why mushroom foragers may not want to tell you spots is there are <laughs> mushrooms that will grow in the same spot year after year. Can you can you tell us one spot and we promise we'll bleep it out? We like won't let anybody hear it. <laughs> <laughs> but nobody will hear it, but I just want people to like feel that tension. Oh, totally. Okay. So I thought of one that's I thought of a spot that's far enough away from me that I don't really go there anymore. So if you go to um, you're gonna find Lobster mushrooms, chanterelles, you're going to find chicken of the woods, porcini. It's fantastic. <laughs> oh my gosh, that's so great. And yes. I, I am so excited to go there. There you go. And it's such a shame that nobody else <laughs> is going to have a chance. Nobody <sighs> ever. All right, let's take a quick break. And then when we come back, though, I've got a lot more questions about mushroom hunting. So, okay. Mushroom hunting is a delight. Mm -hmm. I've done it a couple of times with people who know what they're doing. and I don't know what I'm doing. (laughs) And I think that the scary thing is always like killing myself (laughs) or my friends. What are the like things to watch out for Mm -hmm. to make sure that you don't accidentally poison yourself (laughs) when you're collecting mushrooms? (laughs) And Uh, do you have any misidentification horror stories is what I really want to know. Oh, thank goodness. (laughs) I don't. Uh, I don't have any misidentification mm. horror stories. I have eaten something thinking it was something else, but it was harmless. So most most often, just so you know, most mushrooms out there are harmless. You know, it's because yeah. there are the handful that can kill you that kind of makes it <laughs> the scary part, it's you know. A little, a little exciting. <laughs> a little yeah. exciting, a little scary. <laughs> so, I mean, honestly, what it comes down to is you have to be 100% in your ID. You're going to... Do a whole process, though. That's the thing. You get to know it just like you would an individual. That's what you have to do. I have a series of videos on YouTube called Mushrooms 101. It's three videos. And Mm -hmm. it breaks down 
kind of that process of what you go through to identify a mushroom. It goes through the anatomy of a mushroom and get to know the mushroom as an individual. (laughs) And then you can figure out like, after collecting it for a few times, do you feel secure in that ID? Again, there are like other people that you can ask, friends, There's um, the Oregon Mycological Society. It's based out of Portland. And there's so many people there who are always like Mm -hmm. really happy to help you try and identify things. Or maybe if you're out in the woods, just look for somebody with like a dyed yarn cap. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) (laughs) And you'll know that that guy or like the dude with the mushroom hat, you'll be like, this guy knows what's up. I feel like even when you're driving through the woods, you can look at the cars parked at the side of the road and you're like, oh, they're hunting mushrooms. They're hunting deer. Like you can even just tell, like you just know the vibe of the person (laughs) of what it is they're doing out there. You don't need to explain that, but I already understand (laughs) where, yeah. Exactly. (laughs) But really, I mean, Um, start simple. I, that's just what I love to tell people. Start simple. You don't need to identify the entire forest mm -hmm. floor, right? Don't overwhelm yourself. And, Hope for the best. (laughs) So speaking of of mushroom hunters, though, Uh I feel like I know two things about mushroom hunters. One, they're never going to tell you where to find mushrooms. (laughs) Uh, Two, they're always getting lost. Not always. I feel like you always hear about mushroom hunters getting lost, like way more than hikers. Okay. And like, is that just because they're looking at the ground? Yes. Like, why is that? Yes. But also, I have to push back a little bit. I think the reason <laughs> the reason you hear about the mushroom people getting lost is because it's like, they're, you know, people are afraid of mushrooms. It's a scary thing. And so anytime there, you can have like this fear mongering thing around mushrooms, it's going to be on blast. It's just going to happen. Okay. <laughs> okay. <laughs> but you're right. Mushroom hunters do tend to get lost when they are totally sucked into what they're doing because you are, you're staring directly at the ground. I mean, you got to be safe when you're out there and tell somebody where you're going before you go. Mm-hmm. I mean, mm-hmm. you yep. know, even if you don't want to give up your mushroom spot, it's tell somebody you trust where you're going. Have a GPS with you and have it tracking you. There's also apps like Gaia and OnX that you can download and it'll like offline maps. They'll follow you so that you can find your way back. Super important. I'm a huge fan of whistles. Such a simple tool to have, but your voice can only carry so far. Uh, And, you know, a lot of people who are into like outdoor recreation will recognize the three whistle blasts as an SOS. Mm -hmm. So even if someone's out there not mushroom hunting and they hear that, they'll be tipped off to someone needs some assistance and I should go help them. And honestly, like you don't, you don't have to go to these really obscure off trail places to look for mushrooms. I mean, some of my best favorite places, I'm just following a trail, Mm -hmm. like a well-known trail. I I now feel responsible for like (laughs) leaning into mushroom fear mongering and I feel sorry about that. I apologize to the mushroom community. So let's like go back to like the good side. You are out in the woods and you've like found your trail. You found your beautiful mushroom trail and it's perfect. (laughs) How do you actually pick them? Like. Can you, do you just like pluck them out of the ground? Do you have to like use a little thing? Did you do your research to ask this question? Did you know that I, I'm well I've, known for getting angry at people in this topic? <laughs> no, no, I did not know that. <laughs> well. So I'm glad I asked. <laughs> so, okay. So here's the deal. Uh, mushroom foraging ethics as far as how to harvest 
it is something that people get so up in arms about. And with that to say, um, there is, you can pluck the mushroom out of the ground or you can cut the mushroom okay. at the base of the stem. Uh, as far as the research goes, which there's not a lot of research, it's hard to study something like that. Uh, but there are two significant research uh, projects that have been done. One was done on Mount Hood with chanterelles, particularly done by the Oregon Mycological Society. It was done over mm -hmm. 10 years. Uh, the other one is called the Swiss study, and that was with a variety of mushrooms. Uh, and essentially, at the end of these studies, they found that it, it doesn't matter either way. And you have to understand that the mushroom is just the fruit. It's just the fruiting body of an entire mm -hmm. organism. The organism is underground. Uh, you know, mycelium is the fungus. But when you understand that and you understand, you know, I'm just removing the fruit, uh, you know, mm -hmm. you're not making as big of an impact as you would be if you're going out and harvesting like the bulb of, you know, like a wild onion or something like that, because you're not taking the entire organism. Mm -hmm. And, and then there's also this perspective of, uh, I don't know, folks, the reason they get really catty about it is because they have had either longstanding traditions in their family or their community of doing it certain ways. And I, I realize mm -hmm. that folks are just trying to do the best they can. They're so passionate about it because they were told, and so far through their years of mushroom experience, it's been showing them the way they're doing it is right. It's not impacting the environment. Their mushroom patches are still thriving. So you're pro, you're pro plucking is what you're saying. <laughs> like, sure. <laughs> I'm pro do whatever you want. <laughs> but, 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 but like in all seriousness, yes. if you're going out into these natural mm -hmm. areas, I'm sure that there are things that are important to keep in mind mm -hmm. to sort of protect the sustainability of both the mushrooms mm -hmm. and the other species that are out there. So like, what should people be thinking about mm -hmm. to be respectful when they are out looking for mushrooms? Mm -hmm. Oh man, there's, you know, I love, I don't know if you've ever read the book Braiding Sweetgrass uh, with uh, Robin Wall Kimmerer. Yeah, yeah. She's uh, fantastic. She writes about like science and like poetry, but she says, know the ways of the ones who take care of you so that you may take care of them. And then she goes to list all mm. the ways that we can interact with nature. And she specifically talks about giving a gift of reciprocity. So if we're going to be taking, like we need to know who are we taking from, right? And so I just kind of see it twofold. We're taking from the mushrooms and from the fungus themselves, but we're also taking from the land, you know, and so we're taking from who was here before mm -hmm. us, who took care of the land. I know for myself, yeah. my primary areas, I'm I'm on land of Klickitat, Yakima, uh, Wishram. Like those are the indigenous communities that were here before and are still here. In fact, I love that so much of my area is still being taken care of by those indigenous communities. But then it goes to that mycelial level of like, when you understand the fascinating way that mushrooms and fungus work in our environment, in our ecology, it's so easy to just get excited and want to root for them and take care of them, you know? Yeah, and then there's yeah. these things that just kind of come naturally. I remember when I first started mushroom foraging and people would say things to me like, you know, like, 
maybe you, when you sit down, ask the mushroom if it's okay to harvest it and it will answer you. And I'm like, I'm just not that kind of person who's like going to feel like I hear any kind of audible answer from a plant or a mushroom. Uh-huh. But how but. that has translated for me over the years is is the sense of intentionality is when I go out, I'm taking stock, like how much do I need? Mm-hmm. You know, am I picking some that I can share with other people? You know? Um, yeah. And as I'm picking, what am I else am I doing in this environment that might be impacting, you know, if I'm walking off trail and sometimes I have people come with me, when should we not go off the trail and picking up trash, you know, all those kinds of yeah. things. But I think everybody for themselves has to think of a way you know, how can I participate in reciprocity? And and the thing I like about that rule is that it is like, on one level, it's very simple. Yes! You know, it's, yes. it's clear cut. It's not like remembering seven different points. Mm-hmm. And it sort of pulls you into just like being present in what you're doing mm-hmm. as well. And you can sort of be your own, just like be your own bullshit detector. When you're out there. <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah, I think, honestly, if more people were just thinking, think of it that way, it would be wonderful. <laughs> yeah. Awesome. Well, thank you so much, uh, Rachel. We will link to some of your resources Mm -hmm. and your stuff that you do with Yellow Eleanor in the show notes where people can learn more about getting out there and uh, and wish us luck. Good luck. I hope I don't see you. I I don't see you in any of my spots, but I'd be (laughs) happy to show up in some of yours. That's all for us today here on CityCast Portland. Thank you so much for listening. If you enjoyed the show, why not tell a friend about it or leave us a rating or a review? I'm John Natariani, in for Claudia Meza. We'll be back tomorrow morning with much more from around the city. Until then, see you at Slim's. Slim's.